So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see a five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to On The Cusp. This week, my guest is Peter Harmon. Peter's worked as a producer for shows like Heroes of Cosplay. He's written several movies, including the recently released Love in Tokyo. And he's the author of the new book, The Happenstances at the Yellow County Community Swim and Racket Club, The Summer Before Last. I'm not sure how you're listening to On the Cusp right now. You might be listening on SoundCloud or maybe on iTunes or possibly on Stitcher. The point is, there's many ways to listen to On the Cusp, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the show in one of those ways. This week's episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue in Los Angeles. You know, in every episode of the show, I say a bunch of nice things about Thai Pepper, but I think it's even more powerful to turn to the Yelp reviews and see what people are saying over there. Anna T. writes, I came here with a bunch of my friends and we did family style, and OMG, everything was seriously good. Brittany D. writes, I came for mango sticky rice and it definitely satisfied my craving. And Alice H. reports, medium spicy was perfect for me and the seasoning was well done. What do you expect when it's actually the grandma cooking behind the scene? Well, Alice H., we have to agree with you. When it comes to Thai pepper, we expect nothing less than the best. Thai pepper. Good enough for Alice H., Brittany D., and Anna T. Good enough for me. It's Thai pepper. So, my guest on today's show, Peter Harmon, is someone I met back when I was a production assistant for the reality TV show Intervention. Working on that show was a very mixed bag, uh, because on the one hand, all my coworkers were really nice, and my hours weren't as crazy as they had been in other production jobs I'd had. Uh, but on the flip side... I spent a lot of my time there scanning thousands and thousands of pictures of drug addicts from back when they were kids. Um, and when you're doing that, it's hard to do that and not have a part of your insides kind of start to die. Peter Harmon and I actually shared the same desk because I was at intervention from 9.30 to 6.30 every day. And then Peter would come at the end of my workday and be there from 6.30 until the middle of the night. And for a while, I didn't know a lot about Peter other than the fact that he had a son because there was a picture of his son uh, that was on our shared desk. But over time, we had a bunch of really great conversations in the time that I was leaving work and he was arriving at work. And in those conversations, I learned that, like me, Peter is also trying to be a screenwriter. I learned that he had actually had a few movies he'd written, produced, for budgets of around $100,000, which I thought was really impressive. And the other thing I learned was that he's been more prolific with the scripts than pretty much anyone else I've met out here. He's written a total of 16 full 90-page screenplays. 16. There's a point in this interview where I asked Peter what drove him to write such a large number of screenplays, and he has a really great answer to that question. But I won't spoil it now. Uh, I want you to listen out for it. The point is that Peter's drive out here has been pretty amazing, and I think he's an inspiring guy to listen to. Um, also, did I mention that he recently had his first book published? You'll get to hear us talking about that, too. 
So let's dive in and hear about the life and LA experience of an amazing guy, my friend, Peter Harmon. So when did your book come out? The, it's called The Happenstances of the Yellow County Community Swim and Racket Club The Summer Before Last. That's the title, yeah. And it came out like a few weeks ago? came out on June 21st of this year. Oh, that's very recent. The first day of summer, yeah. It's been like a week or so. How, did summer just begin, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, emotionally for me, it's, it has been a couple weeks now, but, but yeah, it just started on the 21st. And how have you felt about the books uh, coming out yet so far? What's it basically about to begin with? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so it's a, it's a story about a group of misfits who work at this community pool, the Yellow County Community Swim and Racket Club. Um, they are all sort of losers. Like one guy just graduated high school. He's supposed to be going to college for, you know, screenwriting. Um, but he's never written anything before, really, in his life. Um, so his parents think he's, you know, having an internship over the summer that's going to propel him into film school. But instead, he's just working at the snack bar. He's the manager of the snack bar. We have another character who... Um, secretly lives in the guard shack, like the guard office of the of the pool. And there's just like, basically these people, their lives revolve around working at this pool and they don't have much going on. So then when sort of the patriarch of the pool, this cool board member, this like 60 year old heavy metal guy, he is holding, he's the glue holding these people together and he dies in like a freak accident, no spoilers. Whoa. Um, and so it's, it throws their little ecosystem out of whack the the rest of the board comes in and wants to you know totally change everything the the pool is losing money they want to spruce it up so it so it uh, it starts making money they want to cater more to the city folk more than the community and sort of ruin what these group of characters have come to love so this like group of losers has to band together and win the tri county relay race at <laughs> at the it's a swimming race at the end of the summer. That sounds really good. What led up to you writing this book? Like, how did you choose this topic? And um, so I started writing it as a screenplay in college. Basically, when I was it, I, I was coming up on you know graduating college, um, I was facing like being graduated from college and not knowing where I was going to live, have a job, what what was going to happen. So a lot of this character, Charlie's feelings of, I'm out of high school, like what's next? I haven't prepared for going to college or the future. I was feeling a lot of those things, but on a larger scale of, I'm about to graduate college, what, and then what? So I started writing the screenplay in college just with that sort of emotion behind it. Um, eventually got out to L.A. right after college and um, through like a film program and tried to get people to read the screenplay. And, you know, I was in a writer's group with some friends, you know, producer of the show, CC, some other people, potentially future guests of the show. Um, got notes from them, got great feedback, actually really honed it in that, in that group 
to be honest. Um, and so it was still a script, um, but no one really wants to read your script. I got it into... Some, <laughs> In the whole world? No. No one wants it. I'm talking specifically to you. Oh, no, okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm talking about myself. Um, no one wants to read your script. I mean, I... I, I Put it in festivals, screenwriting festivals, and it did okay at one or two. But then uh, I even um, this my friend was going to produce it as like her first movie that she was ever going to produce, and then she just she didn't. She got a new job, got wrapped up in other things. So I was close. I was like, we were like, all right, who are we gonna? <laughs> what actors are gonna be in it? Which is such like a tease. Like yeah. you start picturing it with people. You're like what actors are gonna be in it? It wasn't that close. We shouldn't have been thinking that. At all, but I feel like that experience of getting close like happens over and over again when you live here. It's yeah, it's probably the most the thing that happens the most. (laughs) Um, so then a couple years ago, I was like, I love this story. It means a lot to me. It it could be a, a like a young adult book, and I started just adapting it from my screenplay using it as that like as like an outline like that's sort of the best outline to me that you can have yeah it's a lot of it's 100% a different way of writing but I knew the story was there because I workshopped it a ton and um then it was just putting words behind it and um to direct lines of dialogue from the screenplay come into the book yeah yeah there's dialogue in there that's one thing that can stay pretty similar yeah Awesome. Well, I think we'll revisit a lot of, or some things we've just talked about oh, sure, as yeah. we like make our way through your life. Uh, but you were born in Maryland. Yeah. Is that true? Yep. <laughs> and where in Maryland? Well, actually, I know you've no, got a tattoo yeah. on you somewhere of Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Right there. Right on your arm. Um, I was actually born in D.C. I lived in D.C. for a couple of years, but then um, those were your first years. Yeah. Yeah, till I was like two or three, lived in D.C. Um, by Dunbar High School. And if any listeners are represent, yeah. Um, and then we moved to a town called Chevrolet, Maryland, which I also have tattooed on my body, like a crazy person. <laughs> um, we moved to Chevrolet, Maryland, and that's where I grew up until I went to college. What were your parents doing in Washington? Um, my parents are both missionaries. My dad's semi-retired, but. He did missions work around D.C., so, like, working with the homeless and outreach and things like that. Is that that how your mom and dad met each other? Uh, yeah. I I should know the story better, but, yeah, (laughs) they they met at sort of, like, a a religious event, yeah. And what what was their background? Had they lived—did they live somewhere before Washington themselves? Yeah, my dad's from North Carolina. My mom was kind of— Where in North Carolina? Um, like, Raleigh. Oh, cool. Yeah, my grandma still lives, I think, like, close-ish to Charlotte. Not, like, in rural, near Charlotte, yeah. So, um, yeah, they, uh, my mom, my grandpa worked for uh, GE, so they kind of moved around a bunch. He was, yeah, engineer. (laughs) And your mom's family was from not North Carolina? No, no, they were from, I think she was born in Chicago. Okay. But they moved around a bit. Eventually they moved down to San Diego. That's, I've, I've been visiting them in San Diego my whole life. And what are they like, just as people? They're great. <laughs> um, they are super supportive, um, but they, 
I think they've always tried to like help me manage my expectations. So like, I've been like, oh, this thing is about to happen, probably when it wasn't about to happen. And they'd be like, oh yeah, that'll be cool when it happens, as opposed to like, yeah, cool, great, can't <laughs> wait to hear about it. But um, no, just, I mean, growing up, they were always supportive and um, yeah. And do you have any brothers or sisters? I have an older brother, yeah. And well, is he similar to you or? We are similar in some ways. Um, I think he's way more practical than me, but he's- what is, What's evidence of that? Well, he, he all, he's an engineer. He lives in Philly. He um, like uh, wanted to get a good job and a steady job. He went to school at like University of Maryland, good school and um, did uh, got, got a good job out of school and yeah. He, um, I don't know, knows things. He knows things about, like, <laughs> setting up your life correctly. <laughs> I'm still kind of winging it. Were you close as kids? We were to a certain extent. Like, we weren't in high school at the same time. So, you know, when he was high, in high school, he was too cool, too cool for school. Um, but then once I was in high school and he was in college, we really bonded, I think. Um he, I sort of credit him with maybe getting me, like I was always in, interested in movies and TV to a certain extent, but he started, you know, taking me to cool movies. Like some great theater experiences I remember were like going to the rules of attraction cold, like not having even seen a trailer. And just like the opening scene where there's like some backwards portions and stuff like that. I was just like, whoa, you can do this? <laughs> um, he took me to see Adaptation, Charlie Kaufman. Crazy, great, great movie. Like, he would take me to see these movies I had never heard of because, I mean, the internet was not really a thing yet. And definitely, I didn't know about the independent movies. That, that would, but after seeing movies like that, I would do the whole thing where you go to Blockbuster and go to the independent section and, uh, you know, get movies <laughs> what were you like as a uh like maybe six through ten year old i feel like i was more outgoing at those ages and then like in middle school i hit like a slump of like ooh, being a kind of a sad sack i don't know maybe no one would describe it that way but i feel Do like you, did you feel sad no no i just felt i just knew most people were cooler than me um like, I was friends with, like, really cool dudes. Still am, but I'm, like, friends with the same people. But they were, like, really cool, and I was kind of, like, I don't know. They liked me, though, so that was good. Um, yeah, I think I was outgoing, and, um, yeah, but then I kind of... Yeah, I switched schools from... I, I grew up with a bunch of kids, like, up until sixth grade, then I switched schools... And it took me a little bit to find, like, a new solid group of friends, I feel Why like. do you think you consider yourself uncool? Um, just, like, people were being successful with girls and to a certain extent. And, like, I was having, like, proximity crushes on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does that mean? That's, like, you're just, you're just anyone like, you get close to? Yeah, anyone who shows you any attention. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe, maybe they would be my girlfriend. <laughs>
and then they would not. I don't know. I guess I held a lot of stock in trying to get girls to like me at that point. I was doing fine in school and all that good stuff. And then in high school, yeah, it took me a couple of years to come into my own. But then like junior, senior year were really great. What, did something happen around then that made them better? Just like started killing it. Just like. <laughs> How are you killing it? <laughs> no, no, no. Just, um, <laughs> yeah, just I could drive and make more decisions. I started shopping at the thrift store, which automatically means you're cool. Were you having success with girls? Uh, I, I had my first girlfriend when I was a junior, yeah. And she seemed to really like you? For like a couple weeks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all throughout all of that, like in elementary school, like first grade, probably, that's probably doesn't make any sense. Probably like third grade, I was already doing like the morning show, like camera operator, switchboard operator. So even from that earliest age, I was like, this TV stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, you feel like uh, that was like the earliest sign that this might be something you wanted to go into? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Maybe because we didn't have a bunch of movies, I wasn't desensitized, that's not the right word, but I wasn't, I was still, when I started really seeing movies, I might have been more in awe of them than other people. Like, still to this day, I'm not made, not a movie apologist, but like, I find good things about movies. In high school, it happened a bunch. I would go to the movies with my friends, and we would walk out and be like, that was, and I would be like, awesome and they would be like terrible and I'd be like uh yeah no I mean I like some things about it <laughs> they'd be like no that was terrible I'd be like and then I secretly be like no I liked it and you still feel that way like your your bar for what makes a really good movie is a little lower than other people um I think now I just I yeah I hope so I hope so. Like, yeah, I hope so. I don't see a ton of movies these days just because I got a lot going on. But um, when I do get to, like, sit and invest into a movie, I I find stuff to like about it. If, if not, if I'm like, this is a waste of time, I probably won't get through it because there's just too much going on. So your parents were missionaries. Uh, how big of a place did religion have growing up in your life? Uh, it's still important to me. Um, yeah, raised, you know, sort of non-denominational Christian. My dad was doing, you know, mission work with the homeless in D.C. My mom um, worked with, like, you know, pregnant teens for a while. She she did that, and but then she also, you know, worked at a law firm. She did a couple things growing up. Sometimes she was with us. Um, currently she works with young adults with special needs. So they've both, um, my dad has done mainly like help with the homeless outreach pretty steadily. Very cool. Um, but besides that being their occupation, we also went to church, we went to youth group. Um, so it was, a it was a thing. Did you go on missions yourself? I did, yeah. When I was 13, I went to China. Like, my parents didn't go. They were, you know, domestic missionaries or whatever you want to say, local. Um, but through our church, I went to China to, you know, basically bring money and donations, you know, things kids would need to orphanages and just sort of like go in there. 
I think mainly we were there to like bring them stuff and money and but also we did everywhere we went we did some just sort of morale boosting kind of stuff like having birthday parties for these kids because they don't necessarily know their birthday um and to be a 13 year old doing that um you know I was basically being treated as an adult with the rest of these other people on this mission trip like I said my parents weren't there um so that was very eye-opening and I think super important to just helping me to always have more of a global outlook that the world isn't me whatsoever. <laughs> the world isn't even my family or my town or state. Like there's a ton going on and it's helped me to be like thankful for just anything basically because going to these orphanages was the worst, like the worst living conditions. I mean, there's probably even worse, but these were pretty... Was that hard for you to terrible. see? Yes, it, it was. And especially in retrospect, like at the time I was just like, you know, your brain's not fully formed and you're just kind of rolling around like, whoa, this exists? Like, so that all at once, on the one hand, opens your eyes to a bunch of things, but also, you know, I couldn't totally process it. But then when I was 15 and 17, I did similar things. I went to Hungary to, like, put on a sports camp for, like, the local Hungarians, you know. Also, like, sort of a impoverished little area. Like, there's nice parts of Hungary, of course, but, and China as well. But these, we were specifically going to impoverished places to just sort of, you know, help as we could. Bring donations was a big thing of it. Uh, the Hungary trips, you know, we had a sister church over there, so we would help, you know, hook up their church with like some soccer balls and stuff like that. <laughs> These sound like good things to be doing. Um, they, were, they were cool to me. Did you ever... Did your faith, like, or, like, absolute uh, acceptance that God exists ever waver along, like, when you were a kid or in the last 10 years? Yeah, probably when I was in middle school just going through my little strife, my little emo period. I was I think I did, like, sort of have the struggle of... Oh, God's not real kind of thing. But then I would always, that was sort of a front that I put on myself. What What is the like your personal evidence that you've seen that God does exist? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, you know, I really should have kept like a log of just different things. There have been many things that have just been, um, you know, proof to me that probably even if I could remember it and had like documented it, I could say it now and it wouldn't necessarily change anyone's mind. You can take a second. I just want to hear one example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, a lot of my life has worked out in a way that it's more than... It couldn't be more than... I mean, it's more than a coincidence. I mean, if we're going to go into, like, my sort of trajectory at a certain point... Just how that all has worked out has been strange. Like, okay, so I went to school in Baltimore. My directing teacher was a producer for the show Intervention. Um, but he would, like, fly back to Baltimore to teach our Saturday class. It was random that I was in the class. Random that he 
was the teacher and also a producer at the same time. Um, then when I got out here, I looked him up. He got me a job on Intervention. I met you on Intervention. We're doing this podcast. I mean, that's a small sort of just connection example. Anyone could be like, well, that's just how the way, that's the way the world works. Things are connected. But I've had, you know, many of those. So I think that it's a good answer. That basically, as we keep doing the podcast, uh, I bet other things will come up that just go to show that your life has worked out in a cool way. That I like to think that there are connections, and yeah, that was sort of a base level um, example, but that's the one that I thought of on this evening after a long day of work. That's very that's <laughs> good. For, good enough for me. So if I'd asked you in high school, what are you going to do when you grow up? What would you have said then? Yeah, that's a good question. I would have been like, I hope that I write movies. Because even in high school, like, okay, so in high school, I was very uh, involved in the television production program um, that we had at our science and tech school. Um, <laughs> it was a specialty school? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, you had to test into the science and tech program of it. It was also just, you know, a neighborhood school where if you were in that neighborhood, you would go. But then if you, you know, were in the science and tech program or, you know, you were on a German transfer, like you wanted to take German in high school and your home school, your neighborhood high school didn't have German, you could go. So I was in the science and tech uh, program because the high schools in my county were not great. Well, my uh, to be fair, just my neighborhood school wasn't great. Um, I lived in Chevrolet, which is a cool town that's sort of in the midst of the hood a little bit. Like Prince George's County doesn't have a great reputation. I think it's getting better. It's right outside D.C. I loved it, but... Um, some people didn't. Some people <laughs> had issues with it. I thought it was cool. Um, but so my homeschool wasn't great. Uh, and, you know, I was able to test into this school and get into this science and tech program. And sort of the track I started going down was this sort of TV productions track, which I originally took because my friend was more interested in it. And I wanted to take a class with him, uh, my friend Kenny. And I started taking the class. And even the first day, the teacher was did one of those speeches where it was like, we only have so many cameras, we only have so many, you know, editing stations. If you're not serious about this class, I don't want you to take it. You can take a different elective. So I was like, oh, I should probably get out of this class. <laughs> I was like, ah. But I stayed in because there were, people, there were people that were way less into it than me, even in my... Okay, that was your gauge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were people, you know... I don't know, just straight up writing on the table. just like, <laughs> <laughs> And you were making like student films in this course? Um, I think it started out just doing basic camera exercises with like the, the cameras that you put the VHS tape in. Like yeah. We were in the modern age, but we were still using old ass cameras. Um, so, um, yeah, so I was in the TV productions sort of whole thing and yeah we started just doing camera exercise I got more involved with it I took TV too like I took all the classes I eventually was sort of an in-school intern which was just helping everybody with their little videos I would shoot videos for the school um, I learned to edit on like the linear thing where you push the little 
robot boobs back and forth and like select in out and it goes through two VCRs and puts it on the other Whoa. tape and there's a ton of snow and it looks terrible. Um, but they also had nonlinear stuff, but this was, our school didn't have, you know, Final Cut or we had something called like a Casablanca. You didn't have Avid? We didn't have Avid, no. No, we didn't. But so we would, you know, make our little VHS tapes. Um, you know, and so then I got an internship where I would go down to D.C. and do whatever. You know, I'd put together their furniture or I would whatever. Whose uh, furniture? Just my internship. I was on a high school sports show. Okay. Yeah. So I got involved with that. And then, like, senior year was at a point where I was taking, like, four credits of television production which was BS and I could do my own thing. I actually could do my own projects though. So I did make a couple little short films. Like you remember, do you remember the Volkswagen commercial where the guy seen the convertible for the first time that came out probably when we were in high school? Yeah. So he's walking through his life and like his change are, his clothes are changing and there's the ELO song, Mr. Brightside. Right. And it's like, bo, 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 and his clothes are changing. Well, I did a, a version of that not with the Volkswagen but it was about a girl and uh, and her clothes are changing no mine were and then I saw her and I was like oh I can live life now just like he <laughs> just like the guy in that commercial was like oh I saw this convertible now my life is solved <laughs> so you were putting some feelings you had oh yeah into oh, this yeah. video totally and where did you end up going to college? I went to Towson University in Baltimore. And you did a film production program? Yeah. And how was that? I think it was, I think it, in hindsight even, it was, it was cool. I learned the Avid editing system in my editing class, which I use every single day. Which you, were, you were no longer using these linear editing no things. no longer the robot boobs okay if you look up linear editing you'll see what i mean i know it sounds weird but yeah you, you can people know what i'm talking about you were just hearing you make that sound effect yeah 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 the total mental picture yeah um yeah and I, I i met friends there too that i still collaborate with to a certain degree still keep in touch with there's a guy um who gave me a quote for my book that I collaborated with a bunch who's a filmmaker these days. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I, met, I met my wife in college. You did? You met your yeah. wife? I met Ash. Uh, so how did that happen? Did you date before her in college? Did I date other people before yeah. her? Uh, I looked around. Yeah. You I, looked around, but then you, it didn't take too long to find her? Um, we. She had a boyfriend initially... Um, but then, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't meet till like second semester of, uh, freshman year. And you got rid of that boyfriend? She, well, she did. <laughs> and then she was like, I think her attitude was like, I'm going to have the college experience. I'm not going to have, her boyfriend was still in high school. Okay. Uh, she was like, I'm going to have the college experience. I'm not going to have like this high school boyfriend. And then, you know, a couple months later it was like, oh, but actually I'm dating Pete. I mean, it took a while. It took a while for us to to really like become boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, she um, fell in love with Pete, and I was I was interested. For Pete sure. is you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. She fell in love, but I can't say she fell in love with me on the podcast. That sounds weird. Um, yeah, she fell in love with me quickly. It seemed, and I did have feelings for her for sure. But I was guarded. 
that uh that girlfriend that I was making movies about in um, high school cheated on me, so I was bummed out for a, for a while. Okay. In in the girl scene, um, so it took me a little while to like build up that bond with Ash, but then since we started dating, um, we've been together since then. So college was um, good for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Learned what, avid and met my wife. What's your uh, <laughs> two things that factor heavily heavily in my life? How does Ash? Uh, what kind of presence is Ash in your life, like day to day? Day to day, calming presence, um, supportive, totally supportive. She's one hundred percent behind you in your dream and going for your dream. Yeah, I mean, to both of us. Uh, I've exceeded our expectations and you know we just keep dreaming even after this like you asked me like in high school you asked me if you were to ask my high school self what I would be doing I'd be like no I don't know (laughs) hopefully not working at Blockbuster Um, but even if you were to ask me five years ago what are you going to be doing I would have had no idea like Definitely, I wouldn't have said I'm going to be a producer and a author. I would have probably still been like, uh, hopefully a screenwriter. I, I'm still like that. I'm still hopefully going to be a screenwriter. I mean, I am a, a produced screenwriter as well, sort of. But um, yeah, even five years ago, I wouldn't have known that I was going to be where I'm at these days. Do you credit her for helping you to get as far as you have? If my future divorce judge is listening, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I totally do. I totally do. Um, the dedication in the book is a lot. I mean, it's just a couple lines, but it's to her. Um, yeah, I mean, she reads all my stuff and says, yes, this is a thing. When sometimes I'm like, is this a thing? This isn't a thing. Does she give you notes? Um, not really. That's not really her, her scene. Um, I mean, she'll proofread and she'll be, but it's mainly encouragement. Like I have literally everybody else in my life to give me notes. Like my job is 100% getting notes. I mean, there's a little bit of stringing things. There's a little bit of uh, pre-production. That's not the right word, but there's a little bit of um, getting my scenes together, my shows together ahead of time but then once at a certain point it's like all notes like so just like today I was just answering notes all day so <laughs> so and you know out here I'm sure a lot of people write their script and send it to their five closest contacts that can maybe pass it along right that's a thing that everyone does but usually it's not that your thing gets passed along it's that your closest contacts are like oh here's a bunch of notes here's how it could be better yeah and then you do those and the cycle continues. So, as far as giving notes, like your third act is uh, like you know, it's not as epic as she doesn't do that. She is like, did you mean to put is instead of it? And <laughs> and hey, that one thing was great. This is an awesome. This will be. An awesome I think that ends up being really helpful. Yeah, I mean, it makes me not just be like, well, I just wasted a long ass time. Yeah. So college is good because you met your wife. Yeah. Um, and good otherwise in general? Oh, hey, if we want to get 
a little juicy. I do want to get juicy. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I probably did actually block this out, but we can talk about this. All right. So I came from like growing up very diverse. Uh, you know, I played basketball, mostly black kids on the team. Mostly my, my school was predominantly black, like always. Um, I mean, that's just what I was more comfortable with was diversity and like, I still love rap music. I still covet like Jordans. Like someday I'm just gonna buy myself a bunch of jo- pairs of Jordans, <laughs> like the Jordan 12s. I still like that would be success. I look at them on the internet. I'm like, when I can buy some Jordan 12s, I'll know I've made it. Which you walk down the street and every like five year old in certain neighborhoods are wearing the latest Jordans. <laughs> I just can't let myself do that. I have my own kid. He, I buy him better clothes than myself. But anyway. Sidetrack. Um, so diversity was a big thing growing up. But then when I got to Towson, like, I mean, it was in Baltimore. It was diverse to a certain extent. But it was way more white people. I'm white, by the way. It was way more white people than I was used to. It's like frat culture. I didn't know anything about, like, frat culture. Like, I was like, hey, these are the people that are parodied in movies. Like, People do actually act like this. Like fraternities really act like the movies that you watch. And to me, I was just like, look at these um, stereotypes that don't exist. <laughs> and I would see frats in movies. Yeah. But then I went to college and I was like, no, they, they do exist. Like when Santa saw the M&Ms, he was like, they do exist. <laughs> so exactly. frats, man, I did not dig that scene. And But as a freshman... That's where parties are. That's people are like getting involved with frats. And that's like, I by no means was gonna get involved in Greek life, but you end up going to these parties where there are frat bros. So I went to the wrong frat bro gathering and like me and my buddy from one of these best friends from home that I still hang out with, we were just like being us and being goofy, like, like jackasses, like, and uh, I got really beat up. Like, but why? Just like being, having dumb humor with my friend and like probably saying stupid stuff. I mean, but by no means did I deserve the beating that I got. <laughs> like, I just got punched a bunch of times in the face to the point I had two black eyes. I have a picture on my Facebook where I'm like, a day or two later I'm eating an ice cream cone just with like full raccoon eyes Whoa. and like I just I got beat up and then I should have called the cops I didn't but I got driven home I went to sleep maybe should have even gone to the hospital went to sleep um, got up and just had horrible black eyes I had the thing where like the blood is in your eye um, and just like I had to go to class like that for a couple weeks. Yikes. Yeah, I was taking like a poetry, not maybe not a poetry class, but like a fiction class, something. I was taking some kind of class in college and there was like a real thoughtful professor. Like, hmm. And so I rolled in there with my big black eyes and he was like, what happened to you? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I got beat up <laughs> at a party. And he was like, why did they beat you up? I was like, I don't know. And he like, got really sad and just stood at the front of the class like just pondering (laughs) I felt bad for making him sad yeah but 
It happened. It happened. It's terrible. So was LA a given after college, or do you think about moving other places? You know, a lot of things... Like, if I were a character in a screenplay, probably people would be like, that character is not active enough. Things just happen to him, which that makes great movies when it's done correctly. But I, you know, I went to the close film, the closest film school so I could be near my friends. And, you know, I did work at Blockbuster in college for a bit. And so, you know, in my down the line dreams, I was like, yeah, live in L.A., be a screenwriter. That's going to happen, I'm sure. Like, all I have to do is keep living life and that'll happen. So I didn't have plans to go to L.A., really. But then I think probably, I think it was my parents heard of this program. You come out to L.A. for a semester. And um, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. A film program in L.A. And I was like, I'll definitely do that. And maybe, uh, maybe then I'll live in L.A. Uh, and then I started making that my plan. So, and that program was pretty good when you did it? Well, there's, a, yeah, a lot of things went on in that program. Um, my internship through that program was at John Malkovich's production company, Mr. Mud, where I was the intern to the assistant who was a gentleman named Kyle Fried. <laughs> uh, who was my friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was in that writer's group where I, where I honed the happenstances. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was going on, got that internship which I was a really bad intern. I mean, I could do coverage and stuff, but I still don't know how to work one of those phones where you do more than one thing and yeah. hold and transfer and things like that. Right, I remember we were both oh. like, agitated when we had oh. to do that intervention. Yeah, I was like, hey, Peter A. <laughs> Peter A, cover that phone. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got something else I'm doing. Peter H can't do it. Yeah, Peter H, no go. Um, so yeah, I... But somehow, even though maybe he would, I don't know, maybe he would tell it differently that I wasn't a terrible intern, but, you know, I just wasn't on top of the calendar or any of the administrative things that you need to be on top of to be a good good assistant. Um, we still became friends uh, through just hanging out um, during that internship. And then later he was like, hey, be in this writer's group, and I met a good, solid group of friends, including your betrothed. <laughs> she came to a few. I don't know if she was like one of the regular members, but she definitely came to a, to a few. Um, and yeah, I mean, the writers group was just a bunch of good writers who probably will be hearing from soon, hopefully. Yeah, this is just a retrospective of that writers group. Yeah. This yeah, whole yeah, show. Yeah. We should do like a, a writers group pod. <laughs> remember way back when we were at the farmer's market <laughs> um so that was going on also um that program each semester they produce like five or so four or five short films they produce short films just a couple of them they pick directors from the class they pick writers from the class and um you get to make a short film with a budget for the first time in my life it wasn't just like cobbling together, um, you know, who who do I know that will act? Who do I know will run camera? 
So I was like, oh, I'm going to try and be a director. I'm going to try and be a writer. I'm going to try and get in one of the big positions on one of these films. So I submitted a script to be a writer. I submitted my directing reel, which was, you know, just chopped up um, shorts that I had done at Towson in Baltimore. And for whatever reason, I got picked to direct one of the films. Um, it wasn't my script, but I wrote on it, um, and it was a cool little script about a high school nerd at a dance playing his Game Boy, <laughs> and then he has a little moment with a girl. So obviously I couldn't relate to that at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was a cool little high school thing. And when we were in pre-production, I was like, I'm in L.A., I have, you know, just maybe, it was maybe a $1,000 budget or something like that. But I was like, I, I want it to have good actors in it. Like, it's going to be shot, I don't know, in some room and we'll get some lights in there. That's not the hard part. I want, like, good actors in there. So Facebook was relatively new and people, it wasn't what it was now where, you know, people sort of, like, actors have their actor page and they have like a hidden private page or however they you could just kind of contact people so i contacted clark duke oh wow who's now in hot tub time machine yeah um from the office too yeah and then he was just in he was in clark and michael he was just george i love that he was just michael sarah's friend so i was like i'm gonna get michael sarah's friend in this i messaged him he was like no i can't do that because he was (laughs) He was probably doing like the show Greek or yeah, the show that you almost uh, right. were big, big, big star on. Um, he was like, no. But anyway, so that's just an example of how times have changed with the old Facebook. <laughs> that was only a couple years ago. I'm not super old. Um, and then through IMDb Pro, I emailed Steve Holt. Uh, Justin Grant Wade is his real name. Um, I emailed... From Arrested Development. From Arrested Development, yeah, sorry. Um, you know, I probably emailed his manager or something. And so one night I was just driving out down around L.A., still in the program, you know, still in pre-production. A couple weeks later, going to a friend's house, and I got a call and was like, hey, this is uh, Justin's manager. I was like, who? <laughs> Justin Grant Wade, you sent me an email about being in your film? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Pulled over into, like, a violence parking lot. It's like... Uh, yeah, yeah, hey, uh, yeah, so I love to have Justin in the movie. Well, and so I got just Steve Holt. I got Steve Holt to act in my movie. That's amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. And then we, I shot this short, um, and he came and played, like, the bully kind of guy, and it was awesome. Like, Arrested Development had only been off the air for a year or two. Just even meeting him at this little restaurant to talk about the script, and like he came in with a goatee, and I was like, ah, "It's high school, you gotta shave your goatee." Like I told Steve Holt to shave his goatee, his and he face. did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just got to direct this movie with uh, Steve Holt in it, and it turned out well. And that leads to my next thing, but I'll wrap up this story. But it turned out well, and it was cute and funny. And I have copies of it. It used to be on the net, but um, I think the link the link doesn't work anymore. But it was a good little short. I mean, it was cute. So we have a screen for uh, those shorts that the that the school produces. 
and um, mine plays. And I'm biased, but mine was the best. There were, awesome. Yeah, mine was the best. Has Steve Holt in it. And then afterwards, a producer came up and was like, hey, you did Jasper. That was the name of the movie. I was like, yeah. He, she was like, we should do a meeting or whatever. Whatever she said, probably take a meeting. Whatever, whatever slang it was. And I was like, yes, we should. <laughs> we should. I was like, going back to Maryland to uh, graduate and then move my stuff back out here. But, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look you up. <laughs> swapped numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, probably shouldn't have told her all that. Probably should have just been like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty busy. But then in like a month, let's, uh, yeah. let's do something. Once I get my other projects. I'm in the middle of some projects. Probably should have said that. Um, so when I did, yeah, I went home. I didn't, I don't know. I just went home to get my stuff to come back out here. Because I had gotten a, an apartment lined up. And, you know, I had a couple people that I knew, like the aforementioned um, directing teacher slash intervention producer. I knew a couple people. I mean, that's really, I really just knew him. <laughs> I really just knew him. I just knew. And, the, and a couple of alumni were staying in L.A. for that film program. Little, little base. Um, so I was coming back out here. When I got back out here... I I think I was even in the U-Haul with my dad driving cross country, like calling like, so I'll uh, be in town. I mean, we should do a meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah. So I went into this meeting, not really knowing anything about what was going on, but I walk in, they had an office, they had their posters of their movies up on the wall. And it was like, uh, african-american religious movies so it'd be like i don't know how detailed i want to get because i might not talk super great but it was like pastor so-and-so doing whatever and right. and like the family dinner like just different religious family themed movies and i was like all right cool and i met with the producer and she was like so um yeah we want you to write some movies for us and I was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I can That's do that. That's incredible. Just immediately, I was like, yeah, I can do that. Even It didn't take until a couple phone calls later when I was like, hey, are you going to pay me to write these movies? Like, just in the, right. room, in the room, I was just like, yes, I will definitely do that. Um, and my reasoning was like, like I said, I grew up in a diverse area, went to church, went to some black churches growing up. I was like, and really, writing, you should be able to write anything you when you said you went to some black churches like that was your main church for a while no, no, no. like i would attend attend okay. a bunch of different churches i did Got have it. an internship at a black church actually okay. running, running camera so that turned out to be good research totally yeah see everything sort of happens for a reason you build your experiences and they help you throughout life um so um i was like yeah i can do that and we started talking about they were like all right well we start working on this uh Start working on this. I did a pastor movie and I did a Christmas movie first. But they were like, all right, start working on these movies. And I just did. I just wrote them really quickly. They paid me hardly anything whatsoever. One was Walked by Faith? No. So that, that, that was down the line. line. Okay. Yeah. So one of them was, one of them was like that dinner movie? Yeah. What was it called? It's, it was called uh, Johnson Family Christmas Dinner. Okay, so we are going to get specific. Yeah, we can. I would like to. Unless you don't want to. No, we can get specific. 
I had a big issue with that movie. I mean, besides the fact that it was very low budget, I don't want to talk too disparagingly about like the quality of it because I think the script for it was good. And you know, on a low budget, you do what you can, whatever. So I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not when even saying low budget. We mean like a hundred thousand dollar movie. Yeah, yeah, around that, maybe a little less. Um, calling in favors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just like. And were you getting paid? Yeah. Some 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 amount. Yeah, you know the WGA minimum? That it was, was it? It was um, less than 1% of that. Okay. <laughs> so, to give you a ballpark. Um, all right, so... But the incredible thing of writing, like, a movie that's yes. going to have a $100,000 budget. Literally, my first job in L.A. out of college that I got paid for was writing a feature-length movie. Yeah. Amazing. Um... Yeah, it was crazy. So I was like, it's only up enough for me. I was like, I'll write this movie, and then I'll write bigger movies and bigger. Yeah, the budgets will just climb. Yeah, totally. That's that's exactly The what first will be 100000 the, the next, next one will be a million. Yeah. And my percentage of... Net proceeds will grow. Just, yeah. There's nowhere to go from, from there but up. So, um, well, let me just say my issue with that movie real quick. So I'm watching the movie. It, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. The movie comes out direct to DVD. Um, VOD wasn't a huge thing quite yet. It existed, but it wasn't what it is today. Where even like you know, they'll do day and date movies where they'll put big movies in the theater and VOD. This was not really what was going on. So direct to DVD had a stigma, and maybe rightly so. So mine was a direct to DVD movie, and I'm watching it, and all of a sudden. There's like a, it's a Christian family thanks Christmas movie. And all of a sudden there's some super offensive stuff about people with special needs, which my wife works at an inclusive school that has kids of all, you know, abilities. My mom still works with kids with young adults with special needs. So I'm watching this like, this is the worst thing that I can imagine. <laughs> I'm th- they just I'm, put that in after the fact? Yes, it had nothing to do with the script. It was like, hey, we need, this movie is only 79 minutes long and we need to push it over the 80 minute mark. So go improvise this super offensive joke scene. Like it's almost like a street joke. I feel like I've heard it before, but they just put it in this movie. So I'm watching it and I'm just like, no, <laughs> this is the worst. Um, and it, to the point that even though I'm, uh, you know, have no track record first or second screenplay, I wrote two really close together and they produced them really close together. So I'm not sure which this or the past or movie. So, but anyway, I don't have any clout, but I go at this producer like, hey, you owe me an apology. This is terrible. Like, this is the worst thing. I don't want people, I don't want my name to be associated <laughs> with this. Which, there wasn't a huge risk of it, like, blowing up and, like, me getting in trouble or anything like that. But even on the off chance that I ever run into anyone who sees it, they're like, wow, you're a semi-hateful person <laughs> to this one group of people. Yeah. Like, what did this group of people do to you? Yeah, exactly. Why did you write that horrible joke? <laughs> so I was just, I was pretty devastated about that. Um, yeah, that was a big bummer. So did 
after you wrote that letter to that woman, uh, did well, you actually apologize just, to she, she left the company and I was working with sort of a more high, higher up guy. Okay. He did send back a letter. Sort. He did send back an email, like an apology. Like, we didn't mean anything by it. We know it's an antiquated word, whatever, whatever. Just some BS, like, hey, I don't actually care. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> right, right. Did your relationship with this company keep up? It, it went, it suffered for a while. I did eventually write some more movies for them because they apologized and because I went in like, hey, if you're going to do something like that, let me know so I can say don't do that. Or yeah. I don't know, just give me any sort of input. or. But like, there was a bunch of stuff happened between uh, writing those movies and your next movies. I wrote two movies and then a year or so passed and I wrote two more movies for them. I wrote four movies for them over the course of a couple of years. So one of those was Walk by Faith. Walk by Faith 2, After the Honeymoon. <laughs> That's actually the one if you... If I we, watched it with you. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's not the one with the farting scene. Oh, that's the one with the farting okay, scene. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. That was like the big con. <laughs> yeah, in fact, um, if you're listening to this and you want to see that farting scene, hit me up. It's on YouTube. I'll find it so I can have it chambered for like people who are like, what How fart- can people what- contact you? Oh, at Peter L. Harmon on Twitter. Okay, good. Or my phone number is 818. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and what was the other one that wasn't Walk by Faith? Uh, Nora's Hair Salon 3, Sheer Disaster, which the first two played on BT. I was so hopeful that the third one was going to play on BT. That would have honestly been a dream come true. Yeah. Which, you know, it's, it's still not, I mean, it's still hopefully going to happen. I would love... Not maybe not that movie, but maybe maybe my next one. So, what are those? Did those movies do anything for your career by coming out? Feels like they should have. Yeah, you know, I I had the illusions. I had the illusion that like once you get a produced movie, you can just be like, "Hey, agents, <laughs> represent me." So, you know, in that period, I sent out query letters, things like that. Um, to no avail. But they did actually, um, since I'm a produced screenwriter, I've been able to get other writing jobs off that. So I wrote a script for another independent producer that didn't get made, but it's a fine script and maybe she'll give it back to me at some point if she has no intention of making it. And then I also wrote, um, I got in contact with a producer who shot a movie in Tokyo Love in Tokyo. Love in Tokyo. Did I was writing um, a lot during my lunch breaks at Intervention. That was what was happening on that computer. Yeah. Uh, and while you were writing these movies, pretty much the whole time, did you have that job at Intervention? So yeah, there's always been sort of a parallel double life going on. There's been my writing life. And then I've worked also in the reality TV realm, which, so that's another parallel story. We can go back to like coming out of college. Yeah. Well, you go give, bring us through the reality yeah. uh, side of your life. Yeah. So I took that directing class, met that connection producer of intervention, came out here, had a lunch with him. Um, I was like, Hey, looking for a job. I was like being an extra on stuff. 
I was just I was doing the LA first land in LA thing of being an extra, trying to temp, writing black Christian movies. <laughs> you know, that's a thing. All the things that everybody does. Yeah, we all do that, right? Um, but so I went to lunch with this directing teacher who still worked at Intervention. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm doing a couple things. Looking for a job, though, for, you know, a more steady thing. He was like, we don't really have anything. I mean, we have the worst job. I was like, yeah, what's that? He was like, <laughs> he was like transcribing. I was like... Yeah, I'll do that. I don't know what that is. I'll do that. He's like, okay, I'll give you the contact and set you up. So transcribing reality TV footage is, a lot of time it's for interviews. You um, play the interview, you type what everyone's saying. Um, So I started doing freelance reality TV footage transcription as my job, making about as much money as I got paid for that first screenplay, aka not a lot. <laughs> um, and you, for at least intervention, you're hearing uh, interviews with family members of drug addicts, right? Totally. So is that draining at all to like just because it's a little bit of a sad subject matter? Yes, very much so. And intervention is different because they don't just do the interviews; they do the scene material as well. They do the raw footage. So I was transcribed. You know, you you get an interview. That's an easy day. But most of the time you're doing scene work or raw footage. And a drug addict isn't the most intelligible breed of person. (laughs) I'm watching, you know, I'm transcribing a lot of footage of them just using drugs. It's, yeah, it's really weird and sad. And, um, you know, a lot of them don't have great family structures. That seemed to be a trend, I don't know. But, um, so I'm watching just people yell at each other and be so ugly to each other. And, uh, you know, but I got to make my own hours. I got to go on meetings with the production company that was making my movies and making me sad also, (laughs) um, because they were putting horrible jokes in my movies. But, um, yeah, so I, I did get to have a lot of flexibility so I could try and write. So I I got to write a bunch in there. Um, Eventually, I was a good transcriber, and they bumped me up to logging footage, which is easier than transcribing. Logging, you're just watching. You're putting what's going on in an Excel document with time codes. It's data entry for the most part. It's kind of helpful in scene action in screenplays because you're like so-and-so is doing this and you're trying to say it just in a little excel box you're trying to be um concise i look for the good in things i'm like trying yeah michael s does drugs (laughs) yeah yeah so i'm like i try and look for the positivity in that like yeah i'm working i'm doing the scene action for this yeah as a job um, so I'm logging, uh, but it was at night. I started working the night shift, which still, I was like, great, log at night, write and take meetings and stuff during the day, which around this time, I was getting married. Um, my wife was a teacher before we were married and still is a teacher and was a teacher then. And, like, one of her students, her 
dad was a manager, but mainly he managed like rappers and not writers. He had never managed a writer before, but he took me on. We didn't sign any paperwork or anything, but he took me on and started trying to get me meetings and things, just kind of like with his contacts. And so I met a couple cool people. So I was like, all right, so I'm just like gonna meet these people, write these scripts, um, just have my little night job and then I'll be able to get out of this night job and it'll be great. It'll be the story of the guy who worked at night and then had this meeting and then, you know, uh, was a professional, whatever, writer, a screenwriter. That was gonna be my origin story. Um, which that kind of segued into, oh, I work at night. Um, I'm not freelance necessarily anymore. So I sort of know that I'll have a paycheck every week. I've been married for a little bit. I can work at night and we can have a kid and I can take care of the kid during the day. <laughs> what a perfect scenario. Like my wife, you know, she'll, she's a teacher. She has very set hours. She'll come home, swap the kid. I'm working at night, come back, wake up, take care of the kid. And so we did that. We actually did that. And it was crazy. Like I really don't have a great memory at all of that time period. Like there was just a lot of not that much sleep and You mean your your memory is shady or you shady. don't right. Yeah. But you do remember it positively. Yeah. Yeah. From what I remember It was hard. It was hard, but it was great and like it was kinda cool. Like I was the daytime sort of primary caregiver to my son and that was awesome. Not a lot that of people cool. not a lot of people get to do that. Um but also it was way too much. Um, so yeah, so I started working at night, taking care of my son during the day. I still somehow found time to write though. I mean, a lot of people find excuses for not writing. I still was able to write during that time period. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, um, I mean, whatever, I still put you know, words on pages. Well, I didn't. I, I feel off. like you're one of the people I know who's like just written the most. Uh, th there's like a number of screenplays you've written, right? Like, how many screenplays have you written at this point? Well, let's let me just say that I've gotten five produced, and I sold another one. I mean, these were all for not a lot of money, but just I've written at least six screenplays. Um, and then I probably wrote, I've probably written 10 more at least on top of that. So you've had, wait, so six produced and written 10 other screenplays that feature have been length, unproduced. Yeah, feature length, and then I've written... Like 90 page screenplays. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and then you, I, you've also written pilots? I've written a couple pilots and I wrote a spec Up All Night, that show Up All Night with Will Arnett. Great show. I super identified with it because he was sort of the stay-at-home dad uh, while his wife went and worked uh, on the sort of Oprah-esque TV show. So you know that's a staggering number of screenplays. Um, that's like more than anybody I've met out here. And I, so I'd love to ask, like, yeah. <laughs> what do you attribute that work ethic to that's made you be able to write literally thousands upon thousands <laughs> of pages of story? I really want to be a screenwriter. <laughs> I really do. And people might say, you are a screenwriter. You have produced movies. And hopefully that when Love in Tokyo comes out, people will enjoy it. 
But like the first four movies were low budget, direct to DVD, and I'm proud of them to a certain extent, except for that one that I already discussed. Um, I'm proud of them to a certain extent, but that's not professional. You're a screenwriter. That's I. I feel like that's still hobby territory, because I still my day job is producing reality TV, which is a hell of a day job and a great day job. But I want my day job to be screenwriting. And yeah, I've written a bunch because um, I have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. So how did you re- go from being uh, a logger to a producer of reality? Yeah, so even when I was a logger, I wasn't super interested in reality TV. I was like, I'm a logger. That's just my steady paycheck. I'm a writer. Um, So I wasn't super interested in the latter of what jobs in reality TV were at all. So even when I was a logger, I didn't know the name of what my current job is. I'm a post-production story producer. I'm a story producer currently. I didn't... I worked for story producers to a certain extent. I didn't know what their job title was. Right. I was just like, I don't know, they're the writer? Yeah, she didn't care that much. No, I didn't... Because I was trying to do... Right. Like, I didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, yeah, and you still don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> you continue to not care. I made it my beeswax to care. Yeah, so no, I didn't know what a story producer was. But eventually, through intervention, they liked me. They, um, my son got to a certain age where he was starting to go to daycare. Um... And I was like, oh, I'll give this working during the daytime thing a shot. So I made sort of a lateral move from logger to production assistant. But even just getting in the office very soon, I was the story assistant, which how reality TV works. There's the field that goes out and shoots it. There's post-production that puts it together. And there's like the story department, there's editorial. So I was like, the story department seems cool to me. You're still telling stories. Um, you have less to work with than a blank page, but you're putting things together and trying to make sense of it. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go into the story department. They made me the story assistant. And um, it was a fine job. And um, then intervention ended, which now it's back, which is weird. But it ended for all of us, and I got a little bit existential. I was like, oh, man, I got a son and... Um, I don't know what other jobs there are. Like, are there story assistant jobs? I don't know. I had been working for Intervention for several years. I hadn't had to look for a job because I was just like, right. I'll keep doing what Intervention wants me to do. I'll Your entire there. life post-college. was it? Yeah. I was like, I'll be their transcriber. I'll be their logger. I'll be their PA. I'll be their story. I'll just keep doing whatever they want me to do because I will get my paycheck. Right. And then I'll continue to grind hard writing my black Christian movies, etc. This is all the way up to, like, March 2012. Yes. And at a certain point, around that time, I began to figure out how it works. There are producers. Um, That's a job. You um, basically prep footage for editors, then you work with editors, and you have supervising and executives who are giving you notes, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, okay, that's how it works. I don't know how to do any of that. I took Avid in college, but I haven't used it in however many years, three, four years. So I was like, I'm screwed. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. 
So I was unemployed for a little bit. I did some freelance logging, fell back on that logging stuff. And then, oh, here's another um, coincidental story. I saw a job listing on a job listing site and I was like, oh, I could do that. Like it was the first job I had seen on the job listing site. I was like, I could do that. I, it's a story assistant. I've been a story assistant. So I applied for it and um, then it got taken down. I was like, oh, they must have filled it. And then uh, Joe Mattesey called me up. I was like, hey, I just um, referred you to another intervention alum for this, other, for this story assistant job. I was like, was it for this and was it about this? He was like, yeah, how'd you know? I was like, I just applied for that on the <laughs> internet. And then I got the call about that job and got that job. Amazing. Um, I, well, I went into the interview and they were like, do you know Abbott? I was like, yeah, I took that in college. I'm always 100% honest with everybody. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I took that in college. And then the current story assistant, I was like, hey, what do you do? <laughs> He's like, I'll just in, out, pull the thing, look for, here's the script sync. You look for bytes for people. It's easy. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll do that. And then in my interview, I was like, you know, I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I think I would be good at this. Not know. I mean, to me, it was a huge job. It was the first job that I was like, like interviewing for. But to people in reality TV, you switch jobs every couple of months. Right. They were like, no big deal. Oh, we'll hire this kid. Who cares? <laughs> he won't hurt. We have producers and we have editors. Yeah. This guy won't hurt the the flow. So I got in there. That very first show that I was assisting on. At a certain point, they were like. We're behind schedule, we're over budget, you're gonna produce an episode. So my very first story assistant job, I produced, it turned out to be a couple couple episodes. Um, and then I started just, I mean, and that's been really recent actually. Like, Intervention ended whenever, like March of 12. Um, and it's a little after March of 15, it's been a couple, couple years, yeah. and in that time I've been, a story assistant I've been a story associate producer and like now I'm producing I'm full-fledged story producing on a network television show it's a reality show um but it's crazy again like five years ago I didn't know the story producer I didn't know that was a thing so throughout I've had this these parallel hustles that I've been working really hard on both trying to be a writer of film and or television and um, just coming up through these reality TV ranks. Oh, also, I wrote a book, <laughs> <laughs> which is another thing I never thought I was going to be able to do. And would that be a path you'd be just as happy taking if, like, this young adult, uh, for young adults of all ages book uh, became a huge success and that do doors open there, would you be just as happy to become a novelist? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's our, it's been like a week or two of having this book out there and I just, I love everything about it. People have already read it and are talking to me about it and like my mother-in-law was like asking me questions about it and like, uh, I was like, those are good questions. I actually have to think about those. Like, she was getting into the characters, getting into the story. I mean, my ultimate goal is to be able to write the screenplay and the book. Like, option the book, turn it into a movie, write the screenplay. Um, 
That'd yeah, be amazing. I, I, that's, you know, ultimate dream. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. What's your, uh, like, biggest fear for life out here? Um, you've had all these good things uh, happen that don't happen for a lot of people. Um, produced more movies than somebody your age usually has um, and have a lot of exciting leads but like when you are most pessimistic what does it look like? Um, Even in between reality TV show jobs you get scared I mean as I'm building my network it's not as you know hard to get the next job but still your job lasts for a couple months and then as you're wrapping up one job you're trying to find the next and I do have a wife I have a four-year-old son and I my wife is pregnant currently so a big fear is you know that work dries up or something like that my wife is a teacher that's a steady job she's at an awesome school but um if we were just on her income we'd have to make some some life changes. Um, but yeah, that's a big fear. I mean, as far as like being a failure in life, like <laughs> <laughs> honestly with this, I, like I, I think I said earlier, I mean, I'm already beyond my expectations for myself with like this book and I have movies made. I would be really sad uh, in general in life if I don't get to make like a big movie or, you know, I would love to write another book. I would be sad if I didn't get to do that. But um, just being, like, a great member of my family is important. Um, so even if it's, like, not necessarily working in TV, but still being able to provide for my family, that's important to me. Um. So biggest fear would just be, like, I don't know, not being able to find work, being a loser to my family. But I, I'm i a relatively hard worker. I feel like I could do other things besides produce TV. And and you are optimistic for what the future holds. I try to be, yeah. Uh, my friend Kyle Bossman uh, has asked that I, like, do more things in these episodes of On the Cusp that are, like, uh, kind of snapshots of where you're at right now. Yeah, um, I could see that. Yeah, listening to the eps. Um, yeah, it only sort of comes around at the end of like what's actually going on. What? So what? What kind of like? Yeah, if you were listening to, if you were making this show and you wanted to like, it's all based on the premise of like that. This would be a really interesting like if Peter Harmon is like pretty super famous mm. 30 years from now Ooh. this is going to be very interesting um, mm. what's like what would be an interesting thing to find out from pre super famous Peter Harmon like um, a moment in time in the past uh, or my life currently as a snapshot your life current like your your feelings as like your, just your feelings about your career right now your mm. feelings about life right now yeah. Okay. So, like, listening to this, I'll be like, "Oh, look at that starry-eyed young man who thought he had the world ahead of him." And then, so it could be on that way. Like, I'm a big 
like I'm a big alcoholic in <laughs> in ten years. Or it, it might could, be. Or it could be I'm um you know, making movies and stuff like that. And I'm looking back on it like Yeah. Like that. One um, way or another, it's interesting. I mean, for the past several years I've been over doing it to a certain extent. As a logger, it's not a super demanding job, but it was at night and I was taking care of my son during the day. Um, even like, and then today, I got up at 6.30 to ride my bike. I drove from the valley to Santa Monica in traffic. I worked for um, 11 hours and then I drove from Santa Monica to Hollywood to do this podcast to promote my book to a certain extent. I mean, one, I'm a fan of this show, and I love podcasts, and I love talking about myself. Um, but also, it's so people will be like, who is this guy? What's this book he's um, nervously talking about that he's excited about? Um, so, I mean, I would wonder if in the future I have... One thing that I'm laser focused on, if I'm still doing a million things at once. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's, I, I would love that answer. Um, it's cool to just to speak for a second to the fact that, you know, having written 16 screenplays in this time while you also raise a kid uh, and begin a career as a story producer. Uh, you must have been breaking your back. Um, but you don't also, like, complain about it um, or begrudge it. I mean, yeah, when you say it like that, it's like it all adds up. But to me, the day-to-day, it's just, like, um, doing things that are important to me. That's very cool. Okay, so uh, five years from now, what's your hope for where you're at? I'm wondering if I'm going to continue on, like, the parallel life. Yeah, maybe. Um, so you could give your five years from now in reality TV and your five years from now as a screenwriter of non of fiction. I mean, in five years, on the one hand, I'll maybe be, like, a supervising producer in the reality realm. If I'm a story producer in five years, that's still great. Like, I'm surprised to already be a story producer but I'm doing okay at it, and I keep getting hired to a certain extent. Um, So on the one hand, that'd be great. Um, In five years, I hope to have at least another, one more young adult novel, like, out. Um, And I'm probably gonna have written, like, ten more screenplays in five years. (laughs) At least, like, five, probably. Five more that you've never heard of. And if you... Being, like, not humble for a second, like, what do you really hope has happened to one of your screenplays? In five years? I mean, with uh, happenstances, it could be an independent Napoleon Dynamite type thing. Or, I mean, I have the ideas about it to make it, like, a King of the Hill animated show. Like, Yellow County could be the new Arlen, Texas. Like, there's enough characters to populate this county, like this book takes place in at the pool 
it dips out a little bit to go other places, but it mainly takes place at the pool. But in my universe that I would like to create, like the pool is a small section of the town that people go to during the summer. And so this book, um, you know, it's a short novel. It could be a movie. It could be one episode of an animated series. And I could do seasons of this, this thing. So I love to just to be able to play in like the Yellow County world. But that said, that's not my only idea. Like I have a ton of stories that I want to tell. Um, if something that happens to you is that someday you do have a movie uh, made and it's uh, about as successful as like Napoleon Dynamite was, do you think, uh, and as beloved as that movie was, but there's just you just get that one movie, do you think you could die happy? Like, career-wise? Yeah. Because to me, career isn't the whole, isn't my whole life. So tell me about that. I mean, in how many years? 30 years? Yeah. In 30 years, I'll have like a 34-year-old son and a 30-year-old son, and that'll be, I mean, Poor they'll that's scary, but yeah, that's true. I could. I, we're about to find out the sex in a week and a half, and uh, yeah, nervous about that. It'll be awesome either way. Um, so in thirty years, I'll have a kid my age. I'm almost thirty. Uh, what is their life going to be like? So, if I, I mean, if I have one successful movie, like cool, that's awesome. I'll have two hopefully successful kids. And that's the thing you care about having more. Um, yeah, I do. I do, honestly. The other, uh, everything, to me, I don't expect a ton out of most anything so good. Anything good is always just gravy. Except I don't like gravy. So everything (laughs) good is just frosting. I don't like frosting either. I don't like any of the traditional, rich, delicious things. Um, everything else is just like... mm, other good stuff. The worst analogy ever. Yeah. Let's just say gravy. <laughs> Everything else on top of that is just gravy. That's great. So, if you could record a message now from let's let's record a message for your kids at uh, thirty and thirty four. Mm. Uh, what would that message be from uh, their dad at the same age? Wow. Um, if they have been able to create a family, I hope that they are able to create a family like I am in the midst of creating currently. And if it's going to take you a couple more years, that's fine. (laughs) Enjoy your 20s and travel and stuff. Do do the damn thing. (laughs) That's great. Uh, I loved I loved talking to you uh, this was really really fun thank you for having me thanks for doing it yeah uh, man. it was a blast thanks for coming over Pete out
so. Thank you for listening to my interview with the inspiring Peter Harmon. I love the idea of Peter's kids uh, listening to that message he left for them years and years from now. I think that's going to be very cool. If you want to learn more about Peter, you can go to his website, peterlharmon.com. That's also a good place to go if you want to buy Peter's book and you're looking for a link to it. Again, I hope you'll consider subscribing to On The Cusp, and if you rate or review us on iTunes, I promise that even though you won't be able to see me doing this, I will be doing little cartwheels around my room and jumping for joy. Special thanks to Casey Trila and the band Hi-Ho Silvero for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor, Joe Burge, and to my producer, Cece, I can has get gems, Pierce. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music.